0: Hello, Canada. Today's date is January 27th, 2021. Welcome to another edition of Canadian Common Sense. It's
1: Tony out here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC, where f- winter has finally arrived.
0: Well, um, seeing as you're in the Okanagan, does that mean you've actually reached, reached temperatures below freezing?
1: Uh, barely. It's uh, zero <laughs> degrees right now, but... Uh, it is, has been snowing for the last, uh, 12 hours or so. So we've got, you know, about an inch and a half of snow.
0: (laughs) Terrible. I I don't know how you guys can survive like that.
1: (laughs) I know. I know. It's, it's, I, we're all panicking. We're all just staying in our houses.
0: (laughs) That's good. You're supposed to stay home.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, Uh, this has been an unusually warm winter for us. Uh, I mean, and it seems to, seems to alternate every year. Like we seem to have like a, a pretty snow free, fairly warm winter. And then the next year we just get hammered. And, uh, like last year we got hammered. I think we, we had set a record for the most snow ever in, in one winter. Uh, And the year before that, I only shoveled snow three times. And the year before that, we set a record, and it was that record that was broken by last year's record. And then this year, I've only shoveled snow twice. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's life in the Okanagan.
0: There you go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, Canada, we have got one heck of a busy show for you tonight. So we're going to jump right into it on the show tonight. Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh have some competition, Keystone Pipeline, COVID vaccines or do I say lack thereof, and Governor General Julie Payette is out, who will take her place? Tony has some ideas. Where do you want to start, sir?
1: Well, let's start right at the beginning. All
0: right. All right. The beginning being, and I've already forgotten where I started from. Oh, yes, Justin Trudeau and <laughs> Dagby Teng have some
1: competition. There we go. Yes, that that would be it, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so you pointed me to an episode of uh, Power and Politics with Vashi Capellos, and she had on, who whom I've always known as the most condescending politician in Canada ever since she came onto the scene, but that interview that she did with Vashi Capellos actually gave me, uh, made a good case that she could almost be just as dumb as Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh, who constantly fight one another for the role of the dumbest politician in Canada. So who are we talking about?
1: Yeah, Christia Freeland is, and I hate to say this, she was the minister that you and I thought would actually be the best in his cabinet when she was first appointed and Sadly, yes yeah and for once canadian common sense was wrong um although although i i don't really know who has done a better job than her in the cabinet because it's full of incompetency but uh, but she in this interview with vashi capellos gave probably more non answers than Justin Trudeau gives in a regular session of uh, the Wednesday question period i mean it was horrific and vashi capellos's face her facial expressions <laughs> said it all i mean i listened to the to the podcast and i turned you on to it and you went and watched the video and you, you texted me back and you said, You got to see Vashi's face. <laughs> and I said, So I went and watched it. She was bewildered. Like she didn't, she almost didn't know what to do because she asked Christia Freeland the same exact questions four times in a row and got a different answer that said nothing every, all four times. <laughs>
0: Well, and I loved her facial expressions because the one look and I screenshotted it was just, uh, yeah, it was bewilderment. It's like, what am I even doing here? <laughs> kind of look because she specifically even said, like, okay, just yes or no, and ask the question. And of course, Krista Freeland couldn't say yes or no. She had to just go on. That's actually the point I'm making is, oh my God. And uh, yeah, because yeah, there was no point. <laughs> exactly. <yes. laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a it was it was a pretty sad display and um i mean i've often talked about jagmeet Singh and how he is a complete imbecile but like i say she was trying hard to
1: uh to compete and she was doing a great job yeah and i mean we we talk about this all the time about how the liberals don't answer questions and i mean you could i mean i've heard people say that about you know, conservative leaders and conservative ministers in question period and how they don't give answers and, and that. And while that's true, um, there was the occasion where they did give answers. Uh, and and with the Trudeau government, I don't think I've ever seen a minister actually answer a question. And I mean, and I've gotten just today alone. Today, I went and I decided I'm going to watch the crap show that is question period. And Wednesdays is when the prime minister takes all the questions. And I don't know why he bothers because I could only watch it for four questions. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to put my chair through this TV if I keep watching this because <laughs> And I had to change the channel because four four minutes or conservative MPs stood up and asked questions, all regarding different uh, topics. The only relation being that they're all about um, uh, the economy, and one dealt with Keystone XL, one dealt with Lendbr- or Enbridge. Line five, another dealt with uh vaccines, and another one dealt with vaccines so vaccines and oil pipelines. And he gave the same answer to all four questions.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: And they and <laughs> and, and and when he was talking about the pipelines, like they asked him about these jobs because, as you know. If you've been paying any attention whatsoever to, you know, the Messiah, Joe Joe Biden, uh, he has signed 33 executive orders in his first week in office. Uh, Trump signed five. uh, Obama signed four. um, Or no, actually, it was the other way around. Trump only signed four. Obama signed five in their first weeks. Joe Biden has signed 33, one of which includes uh, shutting down the construction of Keystone XL. And the question was posed to the prime minister about, you know, what's he going to do? Has he talked to Joe Biden about this? Has he made our case? And Trudeau's answer which was the same answer to every question he was asked today, included, we have defended um, our auto workers. We have defended our steel workers. We have defended, you know, our supply management. Um, And we're not about to back down now. But not once did he mention that they've stood up for oil workers. And there's a reason why. And it's because they never have. Not once have they ever stood up for the for the oil workers oil and gas workers in this country and joe biden with the stroke of a pen and i and i believe i have the number correct but correct me if i'm wrong put 11,000 canadian jobs at risk or they've completely disappeared and i have Don't a family member one. and i have a family member who lost his job the day after that announcement, because of that announcement.
0: Oh yeah, TC Energy has already started uh, laying the pink slips out, and I think actually we'll we'll just, we'll just segue right in and talk about the the pipeline now. As uh, well, we can continue going on about non-answers, but
1: that's almost a daily thing with this bloody liberal government. But uh, yeah, the supposed really most up- the most transparent government in Canadian history. Yeah. Right. it's it's quite the opposite.
0: Oh, exactly. Yeah. And even with the, with this, the pipeline decision, I mean, you brought up line five and we'll get into that one right after Keystone because it's equally important Uh, with the Keystone project. All we were told as Canadians is that Justin Trudeau was going to discuss it with Joe Biden and the cynic in me, is is saying that yeah justin trudeau discussed it but he probably discussed it in a way that well you know if if you decided to pull a plug then it's not my fault i don't think justin trudeau even made uh raised one objection to to joe biden signing that executive order because justin trudeau was on record saying he wishes he could phase out the oil sands tomorrow and he's no friend of oil and gas. We know that we have known that he hates Alberta. He hates Western Canada. And our, you know, our regular listeners have heard you and I both rant about that several times. So, uh, you certainly know our views on it, but Justin Trudeau has, will never stand up for the energy industry. And Jason Kenney made an excellent point on, um, Power Play with Evan Solomon, and that the the energy industry is the largest segment of the Alberta or the the Canadian economy, sorry. uh, I didn't realize the numbers, but he said, Jason Kenney's numbers said that the energy industry in Canada adds $100 billion to Canada's economy. That's insane amount of money that Justin Trudeau was trying to light on fire
1: well that would mean that the oil and gas industry accounts for roughly 8% or 9% of the of the canadian economy because our economy is I, I believe our our gdp is right around that 1.1 1. 1 trillion
0: yeah that would be about right cuz i've heard the figure of 10% thrown around so yeah
1: that uh, yeah. The, the, so the, that's, that that number must be accurate yeah so that's that's a that's a hefty chunk of our economy is based on oil and gas and i i heard uh jason Kenney on the roy green show and i agreed with him when he said i'm looking out the window at the sub-zero temperatures and i'm quite happy to have the natural gas industry uh operating in this country to so that i can heat my home and and there's a great meme on on that goes around on the internet that it says, uh, you know, for all those people that are anti-pipeline, how about you go and shut the one off that uh, that uh, provides natural gas to your house? Make a statement.
0: Yeah, that well, you know, well said. I mean, because like here in Saskatchewan today, it's windy and minus 17 degrees, so I defy anybody to go shut the, the natural gas off to their home because they won't do it.
1: No, they won't. Yeah, they'll be the same ones that, that cheer on uh the uh the oil and gas industry taking this massive hit and i mean an enbridge line 5 that that goes into michigan i mean that's like there there's oil refineries there that that, that pipeline supplies and the, the the oil that is refined there provides gasoline for ontario and and parts of quebec and that is Alberta oil, and yet, uh, and it also provides uh, fuel for Michigan and Ohio, and uh, and, and and it's, and they're to, and the uh, uh, U.S. government is talking about just shutting that down, just just saying nope, you're not allowed to even operate anymore, even though they've got, I think it's something like four decades of uh, of exemplary safety records six decades six decades well there you go yeah
0: Yeah, and that's uh yeah and i know it provides oil for three refineries in ohio i don't i didn't hear the number for how many in michigan but yeah like the refinery in sarnia for example is line five and windsor is line five and yeah i mean all of southern ontario and like you say a lot of quebec would be disastrously affected if this pipeline were to shut down. And it's all ideology because the Michigan governor Gretchen Whitmer is just as much of a wacky leftist as well, a a lot of people in the, the Democrat party in the United States. And it's nothing to do with safety because in 60 years, there's never been an incident in line five. It's all about ideology and I don't think that Miss Whitmer understands where the the gas for her motor gig comes from, because if she did, she wouldn't want to shut down Line 5.
1: No, and the thing is, is that if Line 5 gets shut down, guess what that means, all you uh, environmentalist tree huggers? It means that they're going to have to ship more and more and more tankers from Saudi Arabia. Yeah, down the St. Lawrence uh, River. I mean, that's what's going to happen because you got to get your oil from somewhere and you're going to shut yeah. down that pipeline and guess what's going to replace it? Tankers and train cars. Well, exactly.
0: There's no other way. Yeah. So, I and don't understand ridiculous. why they, why they want to cut off their nose to spite their face in this way. Like, it's... And it is ideology. I mean... It's anybody with three brain cells in their head can understand the uh, the the argument that a pipeline is the most environmentally sensitive, the safest way, the most efficient way, and the cheapest way to transport oil. And to me, the, the disaster at Lac Megantic a few years ago is enough to convince me that we need to stop shipping oil by rail. But yet the environmentalists just seem to glaze over that. And that means Bag Antique was a horrible tragedy. But train derailments with oil cars are certainly uh, a lot more common than you think. We had
1: two here in Saskatchewan a couple summers ago. Train derailments, period, are not uncommon. True, yeah. And and most of the rail lines in this country run alongside bodies of water. Good point. Especially in BC here where the only way through the mountains is to go alongside a river. And so like all m- like almost all of the rail lines in BC run alongside rivers. And that's right true now and right now they're shipping ungodly amounts of oil by by train car right now to uh, to the coast,
0: yep, and you know what they're they're shipping a lot of train yards of train cars sorry of oil to the coast to load onto a tanker to make that eleven thousand six hundred kilometer journey up and down the coast of North America through the Panama Canal. To get to the east coast of Canada. Yeah. So instead of running on a tanker literally half the distance around the circumference of the earth, maybe they could just, I don't know, build a pipeline.
1: Would it be called Energy East? Why, that what a great name for it. I think that would be a wonderful name for it. Yes. <laughs> but it's so no, no. Stupid. So stupid.
0: <laughs> yep. And speaking of stupid, Canada and our federal government negotiated a, a deal with Pfizer, Moderna, and the greatest, largest vaccine portfolio of any country in Canada.
1: In where We're going in the world. In the world.
0: In the world. That's right. Sorry. In the <laughs> world. And unfortunately, our government failed to have the foresight to have any contingencies in place. And Pfizer is shipping zero vaccines to Canada this week, even though the European partners they have sold to are getting vaccines, not their amount they expected, but at least they are still getting vaccines. Canada
1: gets the goose egg. And next week, we only get 14% of what we ordered. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. I mean, I'm not, I, like, like I've said before, I am, I'm going to wait as long as humanly possible before I take it. Because, first of all, I don't need it because I am. I'm relatively young, I'm happy, like, like, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, healthy and I have no, you know, comorbidities to worry about. So I'm going to lay, I'm going to step back. I'm not going to take it until I absolutely have to, if they actually force us to, because, um, as we all know, if you listen to the show, you know, Uh, medium and long-term safety testing is ongoing with these vaccines because they haven't had any time to do long-term testing, and which is why, and I'm sorry I'm repeating this, but people need to really know this and understand that the vaccines are approved by Health Canada for emergency use only. They are not approved, like a general approval, like they would for most vaccines or sh- or or uh, medications. This is approved for emergency use, which means that the because the safety testing is not complete, uh, the drug companies are exempt from being sued if from uh, adverse reactions or deaths, or anything from taking the, uh, the the vaccine. And the government, if you suffer an adverse reaction, the government has set up a settlement fund. So if you do sue somebody, you sue the government. And you're not suing the drug company because they are protected and exempt from that. Now, our government has signed deals with seven drug companies only two of which have vaccines that have been approved for emergency use and we aren't getting any i mean we're getting some moderna but we're not getting the pfizer vaccines which is the big order that's the one that we are supposed to be getting and uh uh, like a, a large number of, and we're just not getting them. I mean, like you said, zero this week and only 14% of our order next week.
0: Yeah, and Michelle Rimple garner was on, again, on on Powerplay with Evan Solomon, and she threw the number out there, and I, I actually had to do the math myself, but she's absolutely correct in that if indeed Canada is going to vaccinate all of our citizens by the end of September, as we keep being told is going to happen, which is to me still way too far away, should be done much sooner. But sticking with that timeline, starting right now, Canada needs 2 million doses a week. In order to double dose, you know, Canadians with you know Pfizer or Moderna, we need 2 million doses a week. To achieve that end of september vaccination
1: well that sure ain't gonna happen wow Are those, yeah. is that math correct it is correct
0: yeah because if it's a double dose we've got 30 weeks till the uh, oh that's right that, that that's that's seven months so
1: wow and i know we're supposed to have five million people vaccinated by the end of the first quarter and that and the government keeps saying it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, I don't see how that's possible.
0: No, I don't either. And, of course, and Justin Trudeau is trying so hard to put his spin on that, that, oh, we will still meet that deadline. So, I mean, and it's it's how you finish. It's not how you start. It's, uh, and you keep thinking, how about the people in long-term care, for example? Um, they're more concerned with how you start because they're dying right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's like, uh, Ontario uh, vaccinated 11,000 people last week. Well, if you need to vaccinate 2 million people a week, 10,000 is from Ontario. I mean, if you want to extrapolate that, that's about 30,000 for the country. Right and that's not enough. I mean that's nowhere near enough. I mean that's like no, 970,000 or 1.97 uh, million short. I mean that's it's yeah. it's insane.
0: It's ridiculous and and Jason Kenny was saying uh, that Alberta has effectively run out yeah. of vaccines. And there's they're waiting for the second dose people and my mom is one of those ones waiting for her second dose, but she's not scheduled for a couple more weeks yet. But they're going to miss out that second dose if we get zero vaccines this week and 14% the next week and who knows what the week after. Um, way to plan that out, Mr. Trudeau. But of course, the one of the, I can't remember which liberal apologist was on Power Play the last episode I was listening to. But of course, they're still going in the same line that, well, we're assuming that AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson will be approved by health Canada soon. And then we will start backloading those vaccines. And, and all we can say is, well, I thought Pfizer and Moderna were supposed to be the ones that we going to take care of our needs. And these other ones were just sort of the, the plan B. So again, we're not being told the truth here and that if anything is the the mantra the mark of this liberal government yeah
1: well i mean and if you look at it here for comparison's sake okay for comparison's sake the u.s is vaccinating or sorry not vaccinating the u.s is giving 1.1 million vaccination shots a day right now. Wow. And that was, and I want to make this clear for our listeners, that was before Joe Biden came to office. And his promise was that he would get 100 million people vaccinated in 100 days. Well, they were already achieving that before that, in fact, exceeding that under Trump. So, um, yeah, the U.S. is... Now, if you extrapolate that to the Canadian population, that means we should be vaccinated or giving 100... Uh, by I think around 110 to 120,000 vaccination shots a day if we were to be on pace with the U S yeah, that'd be about right. You yep. know, the country that supposedly is handling it the worst. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, uh, it, it's sad. I mean, I, uh, like you, I'm relatively healthy. I'm, you know, not that old, so I'm okay. And, you know, my family's okay. We're all in, uh, you know, the good age group. But, I mean, I do have a mom who's 75 who could certainly use another vaccine. There is a lot of people, you know, we have a lot of senior citizens. We have a lot of people that do have heart disease or, you know, other other conditions, which uh, means they would really benefit from this. Yes, but- Absolutely. But unfortunately, our government failed to sign any kind of licensing agreements or manufacturing agreements so that we could make those vaccines in-house. And Mr. Trudeau gets to wear that one as well as the next story we're going to jump on to. And that would be Mr. Trudeau's own personal handpicked Governor-General, Julie Payette, has exited stage left, as it were.
1: Yeah, and... and the thing that, that really bothers me about this one is Justin Trudeau gets up in front of the cameras and he says, well, it's apparent that we have to strengthen our uh, the way we, we choose our governor general um, to prevent something like this from happening again. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, no <laughs> kidding, you dummy. I mean, yeah, exactly. it was like that before. No governor general has ever had to resign because they've been abusing their employees. And and the conservatives government before you had a nonpartisan committee who selected the governor general that the prime minister appointed. and And you had to go, oh oh, my God, oh, my God, an astronaut, a female astronaut, a French female astronaut, oh, we don't need to check anything.
0: And you know what? That actually is exactly what he did. And three years and three months into her tenure, she has now resigned. And I guess good, but she didn't choose to resign until she saw the report that was about to come out on her.
1: Yeah, which I think everybody was – knowing knowing what that that she what she was being accused of I think everybody has been kind of shocked at the stuff that's been in that report that hasn't been made public yet but some things have been leaked
0: yeah and that she not only was verbally abusive and was you know insulting and you know made fun of her employees but she was it says physically abusive now it doesn't uh, say what? or you know, in what way she
1: was physically abusive, but but just she, hearing yeah. that term, you know? Yeah, that she made unwanted physical contact.
0: That was it, yeah.
1: And I don't know if that just means that she stood too close to people, or if it meant means that she pushed people, or if it means that she, you know, threw things at people. I, I don't know what that means, but Um, and I don't want to make any assumptions on that, but that's a, that's a, that's not a good one. (laughs) I mean, it's one thing to be accused of yelling at your employees or, uh, or, or getting, you know, belittling them or something. I mean, that's one thing it's bad enough, but to be accused of, of, you know, Unwanted physical contact, that's not good. And it's, and the other, the other, uh, uh, thing about this report that, that had me really surprised and shocked was they had a hundred people volunteer to be interviewed for the report.
0: Yeah. There were people that were, well, career up to that time, you know, career. Staffers, bureaucrats in the in Rito Hall who quit because they saw no other recourse to uh, to get out of this situation. And what troubles me is that Julie Payette's handpicked uh, a secretary, her second in command, Asunto Di Lorenzo, also resigned the same day and immediately
1: lawyered up. So what the hell is in that report? Yeah, I would really like to know because I mean like this is this is crazy. I mean, this is this is obviously someone who didn't want the job in the first place. And we've been saying that for three and a half years. I mean, well, yeah, we've ever since ever since she was sworn in, we've been saying she doesn't want this job. I mean, it's obvious she doesn't want this job because she actually doesn't want to do the the things that she's supposed to be doing. I mean, she, the, the, the governor general awards are held at Rideau Hall where she lives or well, where she's supposed to be living, but she refuses to, and she didn't even go to the awards (laughs) that are named after her position. I mean, this is, this is what we've got. We've got someone who held up legislation from being signed into law because she didn't want to do it. They had to find her because they didn't know where she was because she was probably locked in an office somewhere hiding from her security detail, which which is pretty typical from what we understand.
0: Yep. And uh, I, I'm sorry, Canada, for laughing at this, but... Uh, <laughs> Everything Lewis is saying is absolutely true, and that's what makes it hilarious. <laughs> so,
1: um good riddance, Miss Payette. Yeah, and, yeah, and hey, while you're at it, if you didn't want the job, maybe you should say no to the to the to the uh, to the paycheck you're getting for the rest of your life.
0: Yeah, and actually, that's where I want to go next because we do need to replace. Julie Payette and Dominic LeBlanc has reassured uh, us uh, by the media that they're already working on it and they've already got. I think they've already got people in mind. He didn't say as much, but he said it would be done within weeks because it needs to be done quickly. So let me guess. I've got a compliment.
1: Let me guess. It's going to be Rosemary Barton.
0: <laughs> well, that wasn't the name I had in mind, but I do have a couple.
1: Well, I mean, um, it could, I mean they, the Liberals have a history of, of appointing female Liberal uh, CBC reporters. So, yeah. No, you're right.
0: So that, uh, that wouldn't surprise me, actually. But my my first thought, of course, was I thought, well, the co-host on Canadian Common Sense, Lewis, you were uh, once an engineer, and you've got good moral character. I mean, I've known you for 22 years and I've known you always to be a good upstanding citizen, a fan of the Canadian Football League, proud Canadian, small businessman, family man, fluent in both official languages, connections to Quebec. So uh, how would you like a $288,900 per year salary to do, well, Depends how much of the job you want to do, because apparently Julie Payette didn't want to do it and still got paid. So uh, I'm thinking it'd be a good gig for you. Well, and you know what? You uh... if you give it up after three years and three three years and three months, if you want to give it up, we will still give you um, on you know, the Canadian taxpayer as generous as we are, one hundred and forty three thousand dollar a year
1: pension plus perks. You make a good case. And I thought so. and when you first mentioned my name there, I thought, what is this, what is this dummy getting to? Um, <laughs> but but then you said everything that you said, and I'm like, hey, I do have all the qualifications. Um but the problem is is that I wouldn't be able to keep my mouth shut. I would there probably, is that I would probably be asked to leave just because I would I, I I wouldn't be able to 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 keep from calling out the government like I know that you're not supposed to as governor general but yeah i I just I'd break a lot of protocols <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah well dang because you've you've got a lot of qualifications that uh Well, you have more qualifications than some past Governors General.
1: Yeah, I I I, I see your point. I do see your point, but I don't know how good I would be for uh, National Unity.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying maybe you'll just keep doing what you're doing?
1: I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing for a lot less money than, than, uh, than Julie Payette made.
0: Yeah. Well, the next name in this actually came out of the blue, of all places. I was uh, on a Facebook thread, and one lady had posted saying, the, "How convenient that Bill Morneau has just now dropped his bid for the OECD. I wonder if his name is up for the next Governor General." Oh my God! And I thought, you know what? I would not put that past them for one minute, because. Bill Morneau, he knows where all the bodies are buried, you know, quote, unquote. So.
1: Oh, God. When you said that, my heart just sank. I, I di- That didn't even occur to me when I saw that he stepped down from running for the, the head of the OECD. I, I thought he just dropped his his campaign for that because, you know, he's an idiot and nobody supports him for good reason. But well, I assume that too, and then this lady had made that that post, and I thought, oh
0: my God, she's onto something.
1: Oh, that's not good.
0: So uh, you heard it here first, Canada. In case it does happen that way, I apologize for being right. Just in case, because oh boy, oh boy, if ever there was a time I did not want to be right, this is the time I do not want to be right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't want you to be right either. And I don't want to be right about Rosemary Barton.
0: <laughs> no, definitely
1: not. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I think uh, if he was going to pick a female CBC reporter, it would probably be Adrian Arsenault.
0: Yeah, that would make more sense. She's French yeah,
1: but the thing that they're talking about is that they, they, they really want to put a First Nations uh, person in that position this time and True, yeah i've heard that so. and uh although i understand the sentiment um because they they they're talking about it as in truth and reconciliation um but isn't the governor general position like pretty much the most colonial position in canada
0: Boy, that's a good point.
1: Like, I, I would be very surprised if any First Nations actually took them up on that, because it it, it reeks of colonialism, which in this day and age is pretty much as bad as the N word. Yeah, because
0: I mean that's that's the Crown's representative. You're right. So,
1: I don't know. I mean that that's uh i I really just hope that they get someone who is educated in constitutional law, not necessarily a lawyer because uh, you've heard me rail on about lawyers on this show before. Um, <laughs> i I just want to see someone like like a David Johnston who was our previous governor general. i'd like I'd really like to see just another person like David Johnston get that position again. Because that's the kind of person that's supposed to have the position, a constitutional law expert and um, and someone with a great affinity for the history of canada and and uh, and its people and that would be you know David Johnston is probably the epitome of of what a governor general is supposed to be and uh and I don't care. If that person is male, female, non-binary, white, Black, First Nations, Chinese, whatever, I don't care because I believe in meritocracy, and I just want the best person to and, and the most appropriate person to have that job. Yep, that's very
0: well said. Alright, so we've got about four minutes to go here, and there was one more thing you wanted to bring up. Heh, speaking of meritocracy, there's somebody in Ontario that doesn't seem to be nearly as conservative as he once was.
1: Yeah. Um, Premier Doug Ford. He is sounding more and more and more like uh, Justin Trudeau. Um or, a, or, or other liberals, in that nobody's allowed to disagree with him anymore. Um, this uh, Dr. Fissman who is on the uh, provincial board of, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to remember what the board is called, but it, it's, it's there to uh, advise the government on the pandemic. Um and what measures to take, and he publicly criticized Doug Ford because he said that they're not following the recommendations, and they're doubling down on stuff that just doesn't work. And uh, and Doug Ford attempted to uh, assassinate this man's character. Oh, and by by a saying that you know he's done work for the teachers union and uh he's in a conflict of interest and all this kind of stuff and he only found out that this guy was in a conflict of interest through the media and they were not informed of his conflict of interest and all this kind of stuff now under the rules set out by the government uh dr fissman is not technically in a conflict of interest the uh the report that he provided for the teachers union falls outside of the uh, parameters set out by the conflict of interest uh, rules. And therefore he is not in a conflict of interest. Um, But he is a doctor and he's making recommendations based on science. And I mean, I don't necessarily agree with things he he's saying but you got you can't assassinate a man's character because he wants what's best for his fellow citizens and um and doug ford is just he's doing the same things that liberals do when someone publicly criticizes them and they assassinate that man that person's character. and that's what Doug Ford is doing. and it's it's really disappointing to see because Doug Ford was was I was almost thinking that he could possibly run for the leadership of the Federal conservatives a couple of years back. And uh, I have completely changed my mind on that. I don't think he should because he's not who I thought he would be.
0: Well, and he's obviously not following the science. I mean, we keep being told, follow the science, listen to the scientists. And Ontario has actually got the most strict lockdowns right now in all of Canada. And as we continue to say on this show, and Roy Green had a guest on this weekend, and I can't remember the gentleman's name now. He was a military man, but he laid out the the case beautifully as to why lockdowns don't work and we've you know you and I have said this in the show so many times but yet that's where Doug Ford has on. and uh, Dan Kelly who is president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business had said that Ontario actually has the fewest or the smallest number of businesses that are fully open in all of Canada and Doug Ford doesn't seem to care and he's supposed to be the guy
1: who's all for small business yeah and and that the 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 man that you're talking about that was on the Roy Green show, I again, I'm like you, I can't remember his name, I didn't write it down, stupid of me, but he uh, he was the he he was in charge of emergency preparedness for the uh, government of Alberta.
0: That's the man, yeah, yeah,
1: and he is. Uh, he said that Canada and the provinces all had pandemic plans for how they would react during a pandemic and as soon as this pandemic hit they just threw all those plans out the window and didn't follow them, in fact did the opposite and it's quite obvious that Ontario and Quebec and and Alberta have handled this extremely poorly Um, and and he, he did one thing, he compared Ontario to Sweden and because Sweden has ten million people, uh, or sorry, Quebec. He compared Quebec to Sweden. Sweden has ten million people. Quebec has eight and a half. Quebec and uh, uh, Sweden both have like the same kind of urban and rural um, uh, settings, same same uh, uh, environment. So, same kind of weather, everything. It's very very similar. And Quebec did extreme lockdowns, and Sweden didn't do lockdowns at all. They protected their long-term care homes and even went so far as to discourage mask-wearing, except in indoor settings where there were many people. And Quebec has more deaths, more cases, more ICU hospitalizations, more of everything and including bankruptcies drug overdoses everything resulting from the lockdowns and and nobody seems to think hey those guys are handling it better than us maybe we should maybe we should take on some of their policies instead but nobody can admit when they're wrong and that's the biggest problem is that nobody can admit when they're wrong, and so instead, people are dying. Or people are going bankrupt, or people are losing everything they've ever worked for. People are losing their families because you can't admit that you're wrong. And it's, it's completely unforgivable in my book. Yep, that's...
0: Very well said. I mean, uh, and again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with our with our own federal government. It's all about ideology, and they've kind of forgotten there's a human element to it. And I mean, then we've done a lot of rants in between episodes on that very thing, on the human element of how we're being torn apart by this. And I think you summed it up really
1: well. It's that no one wants to admit that they're wrong. Yeah, and instead they double down on bad policies. Yeah, and that's what's happening here. That's what the that's what the curfews are. Those are doubling down on bad policy. And I mean, we're and we're seeing like ridiculous government overreach, rid- like unacceptable police overreach. I mean, they're the police are going door to door to ticket people for infractions. There's video of it on online of the police just going door to door ticketing people.
0: Yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, ticketing was supposed to be their, their last option. And instead that's where the, that's their default. That's where
1: they start. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's completely asinine and, and it's, unbelievable that this is happening in canada and 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 i mean today there was a there was a a poll that came out that said that two-thirds of canadians are in favor of the government censoring the internet wow two-thirds of canadians And, and i keep saying this to people you got to remember that your guy isn't going to be in office forever. And so when the next guy comes in and he doesn't agree with your ideology, they're going to use those same laws because they'll have access to those same laws and they'll use them against you. And, And I have said this over and over and over again. That if you want to know if a law or a policy is good, try to imagine what your opponent would do with it. And if you can imagine them doing bad things or uh, or abusing it in some way, then don't pass it because it's not good. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, yeah. very scared right now for for the direction that Canada, the U.S. Th- and the world is heading right now. I am terrified about what's coming down the pike with the way that people are just bending over or just stepping aside and letting this stuff happen. I mean, this is stuff we cannot continue to let happen. We just can't.
0: No, and they're people are in, inviting it by with poll results like that. Like that's
1: Yeah, what do you that's crazy? What do you think Justin Trudeau does when he sees a poll like that? He goes, Hey, 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 minions, we've 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 got support for this. Yeah, let's, well that's right. Yeah. Let's just pass everything we can that's gonna keep us in power for the rest of eternity. Yeah. If they can control, well, if they can control the information on the internet, they control everything. Yeah, that's true. Now I'm sorry, my rant has taken us over our uh, our usual time, but I had to get that off my chest.
0: No, it's good that you did. But uh, well, I mean, we tend to end our shows on a rather sad, sour note anyway. So, uh, <laughs> so. Very appropriate that we ended this way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Canada. Uh, <laughs> but from Lewis out here in BC, uh, take care of yourselves, Canada. Good night.
0: And good night from.